All right, we're going to go to Hosea chapter 11. We welcome all of you that have joined us wherever you're at around the globe uh, or our uh, broadcast tonight or some of you that are going to watch this later or get uh, the podcast sometime this week. Uh, We've been working in Hosea and it's really relevant to our country and what's going on in our country and how I believe God is is, uh, looking at us. We're going to go back to verse 1 in chapter 11. We left off in verse 5, but... uh, Let's pray and let's see what the Lord has to uh, reveal to us tonight. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your long suffering. We thank you that you've been around the corner before we get there, Lord. And we're just so amazed at how powerful you are and how wonderful you are and how long suffering you are and how good you are. You're more than we can even uh, imagine, Lord. And we're just thankful for that. We thank you for your word and we pray that we'll heed your word, Lord. We want to heed your word, but we also uh, would like to see more people in our nation heed your word in every facet of life, from those that are in authority, leadership, churches, families. Lord, we know you don't make anybody do the right thing, Lord, but we just we long for your kingdom to come. We long for your return when you will set up your kingdom. Isaiah said, uh, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and the government of the world will rest upon your shoulders, and of your kingdom there will be no end. And that's, that's what we're looking forward to. We know that kingdom already exists, God, but we want it manifested here, and we want sin done away with and evil. And I know that's your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, uh, the northern kingdom is the one that's in trouble. The southern kingdom... Uh, fell about 170 years, fell into idolatry about 170 years later. But the northern kingdom, once Solomon had passed away, Jeroboam set up in Bethel, which is basically the house of God. It's the front end of the Bethlehem. Uh, you get that, right? But he, uh, God renamed that place because he started sacrificing the false gods. Jeroboam did. And so he took the northern kingdoms away from God. They fell in, followed it. So if you think about, um, uh, of all the things that disturbed me this week, the thing that disturbed me most is I heard a clip of our president taking God's name in vain. He owes us an apology for that. Um, it's kind of sickening that that, that happened. And it just shows how much we don't fear God as as nation. Uh, I'm not here to deal with politics, but when you take my God's name in vain, that's that bothers me. That sickens me is what it does. Um, and so we uh, we are in a situation much like Israel. We've got we've got a remnant left in this country. Uh, I know. Uh, we are, were established as a Christian nation, but if you look at it uh, statistically wise, there's just you know very few people that are really serious about their spiritual journey. I think the last poll I saw with Barna last year, year before, was less than 13 percent of Americans are committed Christians. Now, uh, a lot of people go to church a few times a year. Some people, you know, go help at the soup kitchen occasionally and. A lot of people call themselves Christians, but this poll was used to find those people who you can look at their lives and tell that God is first in it. You can look at their checkbooks, you can look at their, how they govern their lives, their families, the things they participate in, and you can tell they're committed 
to the kingdom of God. So if you think about that, that's a pretty, pretty low number for this country. Now, <clears throat> I'm praying that the Lord returns before a lot of this stuff breaks loose. But we don't, we don't have the day nor the hour. We don't know that for sure. So we've got to be prepared and we've got to stay focused on God's word. And we've got to be the people that stay committed. And, and, and you're, going, you're, you're already in the minority if you didn't know it. And you're going to continue to be in the minority. Because Jesus said the love of many is going to wax cold. And in the last days there will be a falling away. And there's going to be a great revival during the tribulation period because people are going to realize a lot of them what's happened. John said, I saw a number that no man could number coming out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation out of the great tribulation. So a lot of people are going to remember what their grandma said. They may go on YouTube or uh, Podbean and listen to a preacher or something and say, hey, wow. This is real. They may get a Bible and read it and start realizing. They'll remember maybe one of your friends or one of your family members that you tried to witness to. So there's going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation period. The, the problem is, and it's really not a problem, but, the, but in the natural it is, it's going to cost most of them their lives. So you, you're going to get in a time, and we can see this clearly, can't we? They're, they're forcing us. The whole world is being forced and there's some evil scheming behind this, but I'm not sure the people that think they're in power, uh, did you hear how I said that? The ones that think they're in power, they, they don't even know what they're doing, but they're helping set up a system for the Antichrist. So these people that are rich and they're working behind the scenes to do all this genetic stuff and try to, I think the one guy I listened to said, we feel like he's so arrogant and pompous. He said, we feel like we can make a better human than God did by the time we get done. I thought, <clears throat> he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says the kings of the earth gather. The, I don't understand this either. In the psalm, it says they, in Psalm 3, I believe, the kings of the earth gather together and they're going to war against God. And the Bible says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. When they think they're going to overthrow God. So, but what's happening, as cynical as it may be, and as some of these humans who are lost and blind and, and, and working on behalf of Satan and probably don't even know it, maybe some of them do, because there is a movement for satanic worship and affiliation and all that in our world. But they're just setting up a system for the Antichrist. I read an article, it was last year, I think I was on my way home from Memphis. Uh, and I, I read an article about how that, and this was a secular article, it wasn't a Christian article, that when 5G is fully implemented, that if somebody could get a brain, a, a 5G brain and get centralized, that they could basically control the world, that it would allow them. So we see all those things again. So what's going to happen is we're seeing the falling away. We're seeing the love of many grow cold. Jesus told us that would happen in the last days. But then you also see that a revival's coming, according to the book of Acts, which goes back to the book of Joel. But all that stuff is in conjunction with the tribulation period because the signs that they mention there are the blood, the blood moons and all that stuff, all the things, the darkness. So there's going to be, John said in the book of Revelation, a number that no man can number coming out of the great tribulation, out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. So there's going to be an overwhelming group of people who get born again or saved. But it's going to cost them their life, most likely. Because at that point, the Antichrist will be 
in control until eventually he winds up losing control himself. But for a season there, he's going to be in control. And so you won't be able to buy or sell or anything like that. It'll cost you your life. You won't give your allegiance. And so some people may die because they can't get what they need to sustain life. Others may be, have their, be beheaded. You know, that's, that's where we're at. And, and, and a lot of people used to make fun of the Bible and how it seemed to be old-fashioned. But now we're watching all that stuff come back, aren't we? They, they've started beheading people again in the Middle East. And that's where all this stuff comes down, right? And the horses and all the things that I'll mention are getting ready to be more prominent because we're, we're, our resources are being manipulated and it's just a different world. And, and, and you know as well as I do, if they hit the grid, tanks, planes, trains, and automobiles will be stuck. So you're going to go back to conventional warfare because that is probably going to be one of the most aggressive places that anybody would do warfare now. Hit the grid... You don't have heat, I don't have heat, cars don't work. Everything's getting tied together. See, that's, that's what the world wanted. It's what I fussed against in college in the 80s. I fussed against the globalism. Uh, but it, it's part of the plan. It has to be part of the plan. So let me give you a scenario. And I don't want to really disturb you. I just want to be real with you. Let's say a couple gets left behind. They're not born again. And they don't go when the Lord comes in the rapture. They get left behind. And the, and the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist is kind of being nicey-nicey, right? He plays nice with everybody. And uh, 11, 11 months into the tribulation, they have a baby. That's still going to happen, right? All that stuff's still going to go on. And then 15 months in the tribulation, their baby has RSV. And they go to the doctor and they say, show us the mark. Or you ain't getting squat. See, that's how it's going to be. So what did Paul say? Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, I'm talking to you that are watching and listening too. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart like they did in the wilderness. So that's the reality of that. We're, we got to know what time we're living in. And Hosea helps us, helps us define that because this is how God... Is dealing with them. I think God's dealing with America here. I'm telling you, when we got that prophecy in 2020, and Jonathan Kahn broke that vessel on that very same day in front of our whole nation, something changed in this country. I believe we fell under a level of judgment from God. Now, that doesn't mean we, the Bible's always, God always takes care of His own. Right? When He was judging Egypt, he said there was still light in Goshen. The power company didn't work anywhere in Egypt except in Goshen. Right? We, we've seen God's hand with that, right? We've seen how beautifully He can take care of us. He's, he's wonder, he, he will take care of His own. And he, He's been faithful to do that. So let me go back to verse 1 in chapter 11. It says, when Israel was a child... Now, th I want you to get this in context. This is God... And this will hit everybody's heart, I think. This is God feeling about these, His people like you and I would our son or daughter. I want, you to take, I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to read in that context. If you had a wayward child or somebody that you had nourished, and He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. As they called them, 
So they went from them and they sacrificed the bells and burned incense to carved images. Nothing hurts a mother and, and a father's heart more than to raise a child right and I'm just run with the devil. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. I, I've watched that with folks over the years, and it's just a hard thing. In my own family, we've seen my grandmother just, you know, and then have to uh, get those phone calls, you know. And that's how God feels about His people. He said, I, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arm. Now think about that. Remember that? When you had your little baby leading it, trying to get it to learn how to take steps, or maybe you had it on a bicycle, you were that. This is, I, I want you to see this is how God's talking right here. He's talking about raising up a child. He's talking about uh, the disappointment of, of how he done treated them really good and they just did their own thing. And, that, and I, I want to I clear up something here. Uh, should I do it, Lord? I'll come back to that. Uh, Taking them by their arms, they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. It's like God saying, I did everything. I mean, I was in your nursery room. I was was helping you get it right. I was keeping things from hindering you. I was taking... He shall not. He says... He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyrian shall be his king because they refuse to repent. And that's where we were coming back to from last week. He said, I'm not going to send them back to Egypt, but they're still going to be under captivity. And the reason, he says, is because they refuse to repent. And I spent a lot of time on that last week about how, how much repentance just stops God's stuff. I mean, just stops the judgment. I mean, <laughs> when you have somebody asking for forgiveness, I mean, that changes the whole situation, even among humans, doesn't it? It changes the whole dynamic. And, and, and God said, they're going to go under the Assyrian because they refuse to repent. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't list off all their sins. And he didn't list off their idolatry. And all that was why... They went astray, but he said, he's basically saying, if you would repent, I'd wipe all that out. What did he say through Isaiah? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. God loves repentance. If you go to the psalmist, he said, God is mindful of us. He knows we're made of dust. And he, he, he pities us. And then he goes, in another psalm, he says, God has not dealt with us according to our iniquities, but according to his mercy. So God's all about repentance. That's why, and I brought this out last week, when you go to the the tabernacle, the first thing you're met with once you get through the gate is that brazen altar. God wants any any stuff cleared up between you. God's not going to hold stuff against you. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, people will hold things against you. Uh, you, We've seen this happen a lot in the last few years. People will... Find something out on somebody from 35 years ago and do, be do away with them. No, no. But those people have no idea what repentance is all about. And they're going to wish they did someday. They're going to wish they did. So God is all about repentance. And He talks about how He'll cast our sins 
as far as the east is from the west. And that, that God just wants us to repent. And, and he said that's why they're going to go back under bondage, but it's not going back to Egypt. And he said, The sword shall slash in his cities, devour his districts, consume them because of their own counsels. Their own counsels. I remember this from like two or three years ago. One of our, uh, it wasn't a senator, it was a, a representative in, in Washington, made this statement on the House floor. The will of God is of no concern to this Congress. I heard that in my own ears. The will of God is of no concern. Have you heard, we've heard this all our lives, right? Separation of church and state. That wasn't God's doing, that's man's doing. If you go back to Israel, Israel was supposed to revolve around God, everything they did. He was the center of everything. That's what Kentucky's government ought to look like. That's what uh, Washington, D.C.'s government ought to look like. God should be the center of everything, and we, everything else, should revolve around that. Now, I know why people say that, because the government gets intrusive and tries to take away our religious rights. I understand that, but that wasn't God's plan. God wanted Him to be in the center of everything, and you and I uh, revolve around Him. And once that gets out of whack, everything gets out of whack, right? Because that's what's happened. You could just watch the dominoes fall from taking prayer out of school, taking the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse, out of the school, legalizing abortion, things like that. We just continually legislate things against God, the one who gave us everything. And this country, more than any other country with the exception of Israel, should recognize that more than anybody. How good God's been to this nation and how much blessings He's poured. And we just continually turn our back and continually legislate things that are against Him. Jeroboam, and God blames Jeroboam for this and to some level. Jeroboam is the one that led Israel away from God by allowing idolatry in. You, that's why Paul said, Be not many masters, knowing you receive the greater judgment. So anybody that's used a pen to sign a law that's against God's word, God help them when they stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords someday. That's where we should draw the line. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what your political affiliation is. We should all draw the line when something comes up that we know is totally against what God teaches. There shouldn't be no blue or red or anything else. It should all be as one voice. That is against God's Word, and we're not for it. That's how we should live our lives and be. But we are so divided because we continually legislate against God's Word. And, and now we have a system. You want to know why people are full of eros and self-centered? Because our whole system's set up that way. Our whole system's set up that way. And so now, it's me in the center. And everything else, including God, even if I let Him in, everything revolves around me now. The worst form of idolatry, even worse than what Jeroboam and Israel got into, is when we are self-centered. That's the worst form of idolatry, when we make life about us. And so he says, how can I... He says... uh, Look at this. He said, The sword shall slash their city, devour their, his districts because of their own counsels. 
the Bible says that we, are, we profess to be wise while we become fools. You cannot be wise without God's Word as your guide. I don't care how smart you are in some other discipline. You cannot be wise without God's Word. And then he says, My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt Him. Wow! That is most of America. There's still a lot of people that they'll throw God's name out there when it's convenient or when they think it'll give them an advantage. But, he's ta- but they're bent on doing their own thing. They just want to use God's name to get a hook or something. And he says they're bent on backsliding. Though they call to the Most High. And how many people do you know like that? Well, I pray. Right? You, you run into people. I know people personally. If you say, well, life's bad or all the things that are going wrong, they say, well, I'm praying. But they have no concept of honoring God. They don't honor Him at all. They don't honor Him in any kind of way. But they pray. What does that mean exactly? Exactly what He said here. He said, they're bent on backsliding. He said, they call on me. Or they call to the Most High, but none of them exalt me. They don't understand who I am. It's not a lifestyle for them. They're just using it as a byword, right? And that's why a lot of prayers... The Bible says God will not hear our prayers if we regard iniquity in our heart. That's what the psalmist said. Now, if you want to get out of that position, repent. That's what he's talking about. If you want to get to where God hears your prayers, be born again. Repent. But you're just, you're just making yourself more agitated by praying and God not moving because you're, you regard iniquity in your heart. And so the psalmist said if we regard iniquity in our heart... God will not hear us. And so when we take care of that, then God steps in. That's what He's telling His own people. He said, you're going to go into captivity because you won't repent. And He said, you're bent on backsliding because you just call call out to me, but you don't honor me or exalt me at all. You don't really know who I am. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How, how can I set you like Zebulun? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. Now listen, this is God. He's talking like a parent. Now I know. I've been in situations of people I love and look through the bars or look, through, uh, look into a hospital room where life's leaving and tears running down your face feeling that sympathy. But I want to say something to all of us. Our lives are made up of our choices. And he told Joshua, he said, life and death in front of you, you choose. Choose it. And somebody said, well, I can't help myself. It's because you don't put yourself in a position to succeed. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans 6. That whole chapter is about parastano, putting yourself in a spot where you can succeed. Somebody called me the other day and they said, uh, how are you dealing with depression? I said, I'm not. And they said, well, you know, a lot of heart patients, you know, they go through depression after that. I said, well, I said, the difference is I'm staying in God's word. I'm listening to preaching. I'm worshiping every day. I'm going to church. I mean, I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm staying in a place where I need to be. But if you don't stay in those places, listen, I'm your pastor and I do those things. 
I, I stay in God's Word. I don't just come out here and preach to you all. I, I get in God's Word for myself. I listen to some preachers that I respect. Most of them are dead, but I listen to them and read after them. I do, I do worship. Yesterday, I think my voice has improved since I've had heart surgery. I used to sing years ago. I may strike one up again here and there. I thought I'd wore my voice out preaching, but I, I heard something good coming out of me yesterday. I was sounding really good, I thought. There were a couple of angels over here singing, and they quit and let me have the floor. So, but uh, I think I'm a worshiper. I love to worship. I like to cry, and I, I actually I'm crying more now than I did before. Uh, I love the Lord. He's my way maker. How can I be defeated if God is for me? Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. Amen. How can you lose when the one that came out of the grave is sitting at the right hand of the Father? Making intercession for me and you. And He's already went around the corner before we get there. I mean, God is on our side. And if He is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't mean you won't face opposition. It just means it's futile. Because he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And he says, I will execute my fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. So he's not going to destroy them, but he's allowing them to be punished. The Holy One in your midst, I will not come with terror. God's having sympathy toward them, but he's going to let them be punished. They shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, then the sun shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria. And I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. So that is a prophetic utterance about Israel being regathered in a time. And that's why I'm telling you, that's why this hourglass is here. Israel being regathered and becoming a nation. Them recapturing Jerusalem in 67. All that stuff are the biggest signs that we need to get our bags packed. Jesus is coming soon. Somebody give him praise for that. Amen. He says, Ephraim has encircled me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. So at this time, the southern kingdom, which is referenced as Judah, 170 years later, they did the same thing. But they stayed longer. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and the oil is carried uh, to Egypt. So they're, they're trying to do stuff with their own strength. That's exactly what this country's doing. Because politics has become more prevalent in our land than God. People fight and put more... Could you imagine what could happen with ministry, with people who are starving to death, with the amount of money that's put in politics? Could you imagine what we could do with that stuff? But that's the flesh. See, everybody's going to fix our problems and they're going to do it with manpower, right? And, that's, that's, and I, I know we need people who love God in those positions and we see God 
in the Bible put people like that, Daniel, in places in those positions. But as a group, this whole nation has turned to that as its power, as its life source. Our life source is still Jesus. And that's what's wrong with Ephraim. They're counting on themselves and on the, all the, the deals and the, uh, that they make. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his deeds. He will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel and the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. Now, let me, let's talk about Jacob for a minute. God brought him up here, and uh, these uh, Ephraim's trying to strengthen their economy and all that with their own strength instead of turning to God. What, if this whole nation would repent, I'd say it'd blow our minds what God would do in this country. But they, we're like Ephraim. We, don't want, we want to do things in our own strength. Jacob's conversion is, uh, is brought up here. God brings it back up. Now, Jacob was the one who was not the firstborn. He had his brother's heel. Remember the story. He stole his brother's birthright. Then he got into deceiving people. And Jacob, for the first 20 years of his life, now listen, I want everybody to hear this. It was more about what God could do for Jacob instead of what Jacob could do for God. And I, that's not a good way to say that. It was more about what God, Jacob could get out of God than what God was going to get out of Jacob. Jacob made it all about himself for the first 20 years. So he schemed, he connived. That stuff backfired on him again. He thought he was getting Rachel. Woke up on the honeymoon morning and there lay left. Justice is served, no doubt. But that's hard for me to even imagine. To think that you could spend the whole night with somebody and not know till the next morning. But that's how it works, right? That, that's, you ever seen somebody... How many robbers get caught by going down a one-way street? Have you seen the statistics on that? It's crazy. <laughs> They're smart enough to get in and get the cash, and then they drive down the wrong road. But that kind of lifestyle lends itself to that, right? You make harsh, rash, quick decisions, bad decisions. And so he spends it. And I want you to think about that. Where are you with God? When's the last time you went to the altar and didn't ask God for nothing? And maybe it was today, and that's great. But just think about it. Where are you at with God? Is God just a means to an end for you? Or are you a dedicated, lay-your-life-down person that says, whatever you want, that's what I'm in on. Jacob struggled with that for 20 years. He tried, he tried to, he was on a conversion of becoming a godly man, but the first 20 years, he basically was trying to use God. His whole life was built around fear, and because he'd made a lot of people angry and mad, and and God was being merciful and kind to him. And God changed his name to Israel. And you know, I shared this about a year ago or a year and a half ago that I never understood why God would go back and forth. Why, when he changed his name to Israel, why didn't he just keep calling him Israel? But sometimes he was still a knucklehead. And so God was letting us know that he was just as much his God when he was Jacob as he was when he was a prince, Israel. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's with us all the time. And God's working on us. God is working 
on Jacob. And Jacob becomes the center of attention here. And this is important because God is trying his best to get his people to turn and do the right thing. And he finally did get Jacob to get sold out. But uh, Jacob went to Bethel twice. The first time he went to Bethel, you can go back and read this in Genesis, he said, God, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, I'll do this. And that's how a lot of people start their Christianity out, right? They come to God, maybe they got a big dilemma in life, and God shows up, meets that need, and they say, I'm, I'm in. But then Jacob goes back to Bethel the second time. He has everybody put away all their stuff they've picked up all along the way and get cleaned and sanctified, right? And then he goes to God without any demands. He just says, God, I'm your man. Whatever you want from me. And so what we call that or what I've called that is God's getting the hook out, right? Jacob lived the first 20 years full of eros. I want this to happen. I want that to happen. I want God, do you want you to do this for me? And then over those 20 years, God done some stuff in him, let some things befall him that started getting the hook out, right? And so finally, when Jacob went back to Bethel the second time, he wasn't loving God with Eros. He was loving him with agape. And he said, I'm your man. He wrestled with him, right? He said, I'm not, I'm not letting you go. I'm staying with you. And he touched his thigh and he walked with a limp the rest of his life because he had been with God. And so Jacob is a picture of us. He's a picture of us growing and starting out with demands and like a child, right? They cry and whine. They want their diaper changed. They want a bottle, whatever, you know. And they're just constantly manipulating the mom. And then over time, we try to wean them and train them to where they can stand on their own, where they no longer can manipulate. But that's how we try to live with God a lot of times. And so Jacob is this guy. He says his brother, he was a heel catcher. And in strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts, the Lord in His memorable name. So you, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy, justice, and wait on your God continually. You should have a daily place where you wait on God. Find you a place. It's more important than talking to your neighbor or watching the wheel of fortune. You and I should have a place where we wait on God. If I took you back to the prayer journey in the tabernacle, that's part of people reason people's prayer lives are so futile and, and why people get discouraged about prayer. Because they do all the talking. You, you're, your whole prayer life's about you running your jaws. And God can't get a word in edgewise. And so you just run in and tell God what you think you ought to be doing. If you're brazen enough, you'll tell Him how to do it and when to do it. And then you run back out. And, God, and God's like, ah, and you're gone. Well, that's no prayer life. A prayer life's when you take things before God and you wait on Him. And then God can say, hey, you're wrong. He might say that. Wow. Or He might say, hey, that's exactly what I wanted you to see. Let's move forward in that. See, but you need that feedback. Look around you. Nobody in this building is perfect. You need feedback from God. I need feedback from God. And I've got plenty of it in the last four weeks. 
We need feedback from God. Don't get so high on yourself that you think you've got it all figured out and you're just going to walk without listening to God. God wants to talk to you. He knows what's around the corner before you get there. And so we need to make sure. And that's what he's saying to Ephraim here. He's using, he went back to Jacob and he said, So you, by the help of your God, return. Return to Shuva. Return. Return. If you're strayed, return. Observe mercy and justice and wait on your God continually. You know what? If our president, no matter who he is because of the office... But if our president came to my house, I would wait on him. I would honor the office. I wouldn't go out back and start cutting the grass and leave him sitting in the... I, I might be tempted to, but I wouldn't. Just like David, Saul was totally out in the left field. He wasn't even walking with God, and David still honored him. And refused to take the kingdom by his own hand. And so, we, you waiting on somebody. Do we know what it's like to wait on somebody? They said, uh, Jesus walked in the room. And here she come. Woman of ill repute. She walks in. She gets down at his feet and she starts weeping. She lets her hair down which was a woman's glory, according to Paul. Right. She laid her glory down. Well, that's not just for women. That's for men. We all need to lay our glory down at His feet and weep on His feet. And then brings the box, breaks the box. I talked about this, how the value is not the box, it's what's inside. And there's Simon. Probably being a logical Thinker, and it's not Judas, Simon. If he knew, if he knew, and then Jesus, notice he didn't, he didn't make Simon feel bad. He just said, "Hey, Simon, let me tell you something. I've been in here, and nobody, you've not washed my feet, and this woman's come in because she understood who he was." And then he goes on to say, Whom much forgiven, much is loved. Don't you think that's true? It has to be true because the truth said it. Now, how are you going to deal with that? Somebody say, Well, I've been a pretty good person all my life. That makes me feel bad. That somebody would love Jesus more than I do. And I thought I loved him pretty good. Here's what I want you to think about. All your righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't care how good you think you've been in your life. If you really sit down and understand the depth of sin. From every thought. Deed. Righteousness that you may think you own. You can get in a spot where you can really fall in love with Jesus. Because all we have sinned and gone astray. All of us are sheep. So here she goes. She loves on him. She's continuing. She's waiting on him, right? She's attending to him. And that's the word I want to use. You get you a spot. And I don't beat yourself over the head if you don't get to it every day. But you get you a spot. And you go a few times a week to attend to God. 
and you turn that phone off and don't talk to nobody but God. Don't let nothing interrupt you with God. You mean to tell me that there that somebody on the other end of a phone is more important than you and I talking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If there is, see me after church because I'd like to know who that is. What I'm saying to you is there should be some undivided attention in my life and yours where we attend to God and no one is allowed to interrupt that. No one. Everything I got come from God. My wonderful wife, my children, the blessings I have, certainly my salvation, eternal life, all those, everything that I have has come from God. So how could I say, hold on God, I'll be right back because Aunt, Ju- Aunt uh, Julie's over here. I don't think I got an Aunt Julie, but I was trying to think. Of how can that be? How can that be? Somebody, when somebody calls me, and, uh, and most, if you've called me, and you've, maybe some of you heard me say this, they'll say, were you studying? I said, if I'd have been studying, I would not have answered this phone. That's who I am. I don't answer a phone to talk to you if I'm in God's Word, or anybody else for that matter, my own family. When, I'm, when God's in front of me, that's who gets my attention. And so I just challenge you to be like this woman who came in and gave Jesus all of her attention. He finally says, return and observe a cunning Canaanite deceitful scales are in his hand. He loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, surely I've become rich. I've found wealth for myself in all my life. He just, he's out of it. (laughs) He's just out of it. God keeps showing him mercy and he keeps thinking he's making his own way. Now, I'm going to stop there, but I'm going to share something with you. I just touched on it briefly. And I'm going to be as transparent as I can be with you here. That was one of the things that God came after me at during this season I'm in. More pride. Pride has to leave us. And I know none of us think we have it. But... All the pride. And, and you, you, you got to get, I have been so renewed about, and I knew who was in charge. I told the surgeon that when we were discussing my surgery and whether I was going to stay there and have it or go on and I, or come back here. And I said, you know, I don't have any doubts of who's in charge. If he takes me today or six years from now, I understand who's in charge. But there's still something that especially with us Americanites, can I call us Americanites? Especially with us Americanites, we take pride in being self-made people. That's how we're trained. Nothing wrong with being somebody who's willing to work and take care of your business. I'm all in on that. Paul said, let bear your own burdens, right? And then help other people bear them. Bear theirs if, you, if they need it, right? Take care of your own business. But you got to be careful into thinking that God has, don't have us interconnected. I mean, he, he really renewed me to the fact that He's got people everywhere. We need each other. We are not self-made people. We are a family. And He just turned me up and got some more pride out of me. And, and I, I needed it. I needed that. 
And you know what? If I live another 20 years, God's going to do some more stuff in me. Please, don't look in the mirror and think you've arrived. That's not how this works. We're on a journey. My life changed when I realized discipleship wasn't a destination, but a journey. We're all on a journey. And God's going to keep emptying us out. Look what He did with all these guys. Just go back and pay attention to what He did with Jacob, Peter. You go right down the line. Moses, all these guys, how He just keeps taking them through seasons and situations to reveal. Now, your seasons may be totally different than mine. But they're designed by God for you to see Him in a greater measure and for you to decrease and Him to increase. That's how this works. Last thing before I close. The greater the revelation of Abraham of who God was, and God kept revealing, right? Jehovah Jireh, you see those. The deeper his revelation of who God was, the deeper his worship went. And that's game changing. You want to go in those deep places with the Lord. He wants to take you and I there. He's got wonderful things to show us. And He's on our side. I was never out of God's care. He had everybody in place for me 17 hours from all. And they were people that were a part of His family. His body. And I was humbled to realize that my needs were connected to brothers and sisters I didn't even know. That was humbling. And I thank God for that. And I may start wearing a cowboy hat soon. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for your love and mercy. I thank you for what you're teaching and training each one of us, Lord. We all have different seasons and circumstances, but you're alive in all those, Lord, and you've been around the corner before us. I thank you and I praise you for your wonderful love. there, And I have gotten such a new heart for the lost. And I pray, Lord, that there's people in our families, people in our circles, people that we love, people we work, people we work with, people we grew up with, they're lost. And we just pray, Lord. And I, you've put it on my heart to start just calling out their names every night. And that's what I've been doing, Lord calling out their names. And I just pray that you will save to the uttermost. That you'll save to the guttermost. That you'll save the sons and daughters of people in this building and people that are watching me and hearing me. You'll start saving their sons and their daughters and their grandchildren and their family and their friends, their neighbors. We want to see people saved, Lord. We want to see your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen.